All right. All right. <laughs> I've been trying to do, uh, I tried to do an Owen Wilson impression. Oh, God. Based on, uh, what's the woman's name from SNL? She's like the first Hispanic American on SNL. Allison, oh no, I just looked it up and I still am getting it wrong. Her name is Melissa Villasenor. <laughs> oh, I read an article about her. Okay, And cool, she cool. is super awkward and weird and like, it's what I imagine like if, if the shape of a square could talk, that's what it would sound like. <laughs> like the shape of square. Yeah, yeah. That's but so But then I was watching some stuff on her on YouTube and she's like famous for her impressions and that's how she got on to SNL. Yeah. And she was on, like, what is that one with, like, America's Got Talent with the X's? She was on that. And she was, like, super cute and won. But she has an Owen Wilson impression. She goes, wow, wow, wow. I can only get it by accident. Wow, wow. And then I can't really do it very well. That's you doing an impression of Melissa <laughs> Villasenor doing an impression of Owen Wilson is so many layers of references. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. And it's just, <laughs> I'm just getting further and further from it. All right. <laughs> Welcome to Mental Dam. A barrier method for your entertainment. For your entertainment and for our entertainment. The barrier method is for our entertainment, but mental dam is for your entertainment. That's that's a longer Are you entertained? That's a longer tagline than I think we'd planned, but I like it. I think you did great. I just going off the cuff a little. My name is Krista Jarzinski. And I'm Helen Sharma. This week we're talking about Oh fuck, I don't remember. <laughs> you always say it the same way. And, and I'm Helen, Helen Sharma. Sharma. Because I listened to too much NPR growing up, but now I have a really specific radio voice in my head. Ah uh, yes, this week we will be discussing shoutouts. No, that's not an NPR voice, but I'm going to no. go with it. Shoutouts. That's a BBC voice. Uh, spotlight. We're going to do a spotlight on um, Monster, the 2003 hit movie starring Charlize Theron. And Christina Ricci. And... It's important to me that she and gets then, counted in. She did good, too. She was really good. Yeah. We'll get to that. We'll, um, we'll get there. And then we're going to do that. what we missed. Yeah. You know, just like El Basic format. Yeah, that's actually Spanish for um, goat uterus. So I don't know if you know about it. Darn it. El Basic format. I don't... I'm you... trying to learn Spanish, and I missed that. One. This goddamn Duolingo is not working. It's not. <laughs> okay, so should we do shoutouts first? Do you wanna do you wanna live your best life with that one? Yes. Are you referencing Oprah because I listen to the Oprah podcast? There's an Oprah podcast. Oh my god! All right, rerouting my shoutout. Sorry, Elizabeth Moss. You will come another <laughs> week. My shoutout goes to the Oprah podcast. Oh and my Oprah. fucking god! Okay. It's not a real pod. Well, it is a podcast, but it's not like a podcast length. It's not ongoing. It was a three-part mini-series kind of podcast from WBEZ Chicago. Oh, I love WBEZ Chicago. And it was about like the rise and celebrity of Oprah. And um, I didn't know how much, well, how how similar Oprah is to me, if I must say, or how similar <laughs> I am to Oprah. That's not true, but. No, that's exactly um, how true. I really like Oprah so yeah. much. 
Yeah. She really, um, I don't know, she was really interested in putting very positive intentions into the world when she had her show. It was, there was a time in the beginning, and I don't want to spoil the entire podcast, but there was a time in the beginning where she was kind of playing the daytime talk show host game and doing things that were really alarming or um, sensational. And then she, once she got big enough and could really plan her own thing and moved into her own production studio, they started wanting to do more about like holistic living and healthy relationship with yourself and success and being a happy person. And I just think that she's amazing. Like she had this team of all women, not all women, but a lot of women who worked for her as like her producers. And they were a big family and everybody who talks about working on the show talks about how life-changing it was and how... Um, much of a work environment it was focused on like really being your best self and being yourself and authentic around other people it just sounds amazing and I love Oprah so shout out this week to Oprah Winfrey who is also starring in the upcoming adaptation um, that's coming out in 2018 of A Wrinkle in Time which I love that book and I'm going to reread it soon because it fits in our criteria Um, and I loved it as a kid and I, there are things sometimes that I look back on that I didn't realize at the time how much I love them, but I really think about A Wrinkle in Time often, and I did multiple mm-hmm. art pieces about A Wrinkle in Time. Like, I made um, clay versions of all the main characters, and I just really cared about A Wrinkle in Time in a weird way. So I'm really excited to reread it, but now I'm getting off on a tangent. Oprah is amazing. Yeah. That's my shout-out. Uh, so my shout out this week is for Sydney McElroy, who is Dr. Mm. Sydney McElroy. She is woo, woo, woo. a family doctor in Huntington, West Virginia. She is also the co-host of several podcasts, one of which is one of my favorites. It's called Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine with her husband, Justin McElroy. Um, and they're both, I mean, this podcast, I wish that they released an episode every day because every time they do, it just like fills my heart with joy and makes my day so much better. Um, I, I love that podcast. But my specifically, I follow them both on Twitter. And Sydney, as like all of this like healthcare bill stuff has been coming out and all of, Yeah. Basically as like the American healthcare system has been crumbling legislatively, uh, Sydney has been using Twitter as this platform where she is like so outspoken and so passionate and so like informed and like supporting all her followers in being informed about what's going on and in taking action and she just really inspires me because she's a person who like her job is not inherently political right her job is just to be a family doctor but she's used that as a platform for education through her podcast and as a platform for political action through twitter and other means and i think that's like the coolest thing to be able to draw your profession out into so many different branches of your life. Yeah, I agree. And it's not like I feel I'm fighting the urge to be like, call your Congress people because nobody's going to hear this podcast <laughs> until after because they're voting on it today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but if relevant, call your senators. I mean, just always like I read a, another tweet by a different person that was probably a man. I'm so sorry today. That was like, 2017 the year where every three days we have to call our senators about something else and while it's true that that's like so different I don't think it's a bad thing to have to be in the habit of like reaching out to your representatives I think that's a really really cool thing that like 
at least the circles that I run in are getting so much more politically engaged just as a for like as a matter of daily life yeah I only ever call one of my senators although I should call the other one who's doing good things and just say thank you thank you I love you <laughs> I know my senator is Elizabeth Warren and so right. I like almost never call her because we agree on pretty much everything but I yeah I often I have a whole folder on my computers of letters that I've started writing to her that's like I love you you are my <laughs> have inspiration have I told you that I love you have I, have I written you an acrostic poem in the last three weeks? Because if not, I'll write you another. So shall we do our spotlight? Spotlight of the week. Spotlight of the week. How about when you get a spotlight, you got to talk about it right. Cha-cha. I love that. Um, <laughs> that makes me, that makes my heart just like flutter up out of my chest. So. It's not my fave, but we'll keep it for this week. Yeah. We'll hang on to it. So so this spotlight that we're going to talk about right is the 2003, is it a, the, the internet told me it was a crime slash drama slash horror film and I kind of didn't feel that it was any of those. Well, maybe it was drama, but like, I don't know. It was like a know. biopic. If you will. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I always thought that was pronounced biopic, but here so we are. So did I, but I learned <laughs> kind of recently that it is a biopic. Yeah, we, you know, we're learning together, we're growing together, and that's uh, what friendship is all about. So we are talking about the 2003 drama biopic Monster about Eileen Ronos, who was, I don't know. Wernos. Wernos. Yeah. Okay. Um, Who was a sex worker in Michigan and Florida, um... And Ohio, maybe. Like, it's kind of all over the place. It's unclear. Um, in the 90s and in the 80s and 90s. And yes. um, eventually became the first woman to be identified as the FBI, by the FBI, as a serial killer in the United States. Yes. She was the first woman to, like, fit that profile. So the, the movie stars um, Charlize Theron as Eileen or Lee and Christina Ritchie as her girlfriend who is kind of fictionalized in the movie but in the movie she's called selby wall selby wall selby wall which also like okay so christina ritchie she showed up on the screen i turned on this movie i sat down on my bed i like christina ritchie shows up and i was like wednesday adams and (laughs) that's the only thing i could think the entire movie was just that this is wednesday adams falling in love with a serial killer i think of her a lot as um the girl in Casper, the friendly ghost, Uh, who falls in love with Casper. She just has such a spooky face. Like, she's really pretty, but spooky looking. Yeah. Well, the story um, starts in, like, 1990 or 91, um, right before Eileen is about to start her killing spree. And um, she is about to kill herself as the movie opens. She's thinking of committing suicide and then, why doesn't she? I forget. She had $5 in her pocket and thought that it would be a waste of the $5 if she didn't spend it. Um, but it opens with her about to commit suicide. She didn't want to waste the $5 that she had, so she goes into a bar, which ends up being a gay bar. Yeah. And she meets Selby. Yeah. And at first, she's a real jerk and is like, I don't like women. Uh, but then they become buds and drink a bunch of beers together. 
and they end up actually really liking each other. And uh, Eileen wants to quit hooking, but she needs money. And so she goes out. There's a brutal, 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 brutal rape scene. Um, probably the worst one I've ever seen, honestly. And I, like, plugged my ears and eyes for a lot of it. Yeah. But it was pretty horrible. <clears throat> I got out of my bed so that I could only see the very corner of the screen and sat on the floor and opened Tinder and just did that for a while Swiped as a distraction a until it was over. <laughs> yeah. It was so bad that even without watching the whole thing, I was like, in my head, I was like, kill him, kill him, kill him, kill him. Yeah. Like, even though we already knew that was the way it was going. Um, yeah. No, I was for sure rooting for that. In he that was definitely going to kill her also, like, after whatever messed up stuff he was doing. Because she, she opens up the trunk and finds, like, a saw. And yes. it's like, he's going to do some really fucked up shit. Yes. It was yeah. gross. Anyway. So she kills him, and that starts it all. So then there's, like, two simultaneous plot lines. There's the plot line where she is building a relationship with Selby, and Selby is pretty young. Like, I think she was still an adult, but she's not old enough to, like, have her own money, and she needs Eileen to take care of her and keeps saying that over and over again, which was pretty jerk move on Selby's part. And so Eileen feels more and more pressure to keep going out and picking up John's. But every time she picks somebody up, I think in the very beginning, she's not necessarily planning on being a serial killer, but she starts to have, like, traumatic response to this idea that she's going to be sexually assaulted. And so then she just starts killing everybody and that she picks up. And her relationship with Selby is not great. But they're kind of in love. And that's nice, too, because it seems like she's never been loved, just, like, used. Yeah. I mean... That relationship is complicated because I think they're in love, but they also, neither of them are really happy. Like, they're both in a really, really shitty situation. And yeah. so it's hard to, like, be happy and stable and love another person in the way that they deserve when you are so unable to, like, get your basic needs met. Right. Because Selby's backstory is that she comes from a religious family in Ohio, and she is gay and so she is trying to navigate that. And she's, like, staying with some family in Florida while, I guess, while they figure it out. I don't really know. That was kind of unclear. It's kind but of unclear, yeah. Then she's going to go home, but she decides to stay with Eileen. So nobody in this situation is really an adult. Like, Eileen is, has had such an insane life that she's still operating on very much survival mode. Selby's never lived on her on her own, so they're both just like surviving very poorly. Mm-hmm. Um, she ends up doing seven murders. Did she do seven murders in the movie too? I, it was kind of there was like a a montage bit of it where they kind of skimmed over a bunch of murders. Yeah, I think we only like saw like three or four. Yeah, I didn't really count. I was. Um, Mostly, I don't think killing is good. Let me just open with that. Um, that seems like a fair a fair way to present this conversation. Yeah. Right. Starting with that, I do not think murder is acceptable. I even don't think, like, death penalty is acceptable. 
Um, so not that, but I definitely had like a lot of compassion for Eileen through most of the movie and some of the situations. And then there are points when she murders people who are very nice and trying to help, especially one guy who's specifically not even trying to sleep with her. That was very hard. Yeah. Wait, did was... she let him go in the movie? Mm-mm. She didn't let anyone go, right? Ugh, no, that was the she worst shot him. part. She, there was one guy who she kind of let go really early on. He would have been like her second or third victim. Yeah. And um, he was the first guy, or she was the first like sex worker he'd ever hired. I remember, yeah. And, and he's, he's so and, nervous. Yeah. yeah, she's like, she's trying to like dirty talk him, basically to lure him into being an asshole, essentially, right. I think. And he like can't even engage. He's so nervous. And so she just kind of like gives him a hand job and lets him go. Yeah. Oof, man. It like, so, so that was kind of my overall takeaway is that in the movie, I felt a lot of compassion for her. And I think that, I think I felt way more compassion for her than like most people in the world feel for the real Eileen Ronos. Yeah. And I think that the movie, like you were saying about that guy who you will have the details about that I, I don't remember anything about him, but he was the guy who made a documentary about this woman earlier on and said that like, so much of who she was and what she did was a product of her trauma as a child, like her upbringing and the life that she had to lead because she didn't have any other fucking choices, right? Right. And so, like, at the end of the day, I really do have – I don't have compassion for what she did, but I have compassion for her as a person because, like, she – basically at no point from her birth was she going to have a normal life where she could make – productive, safe, like, choices, like, non-destructive choices. Yeah, she was just never loved at all, it sounds like. the real, the real woman, I mean, they touch upon this a little bit in the movie, but the real woman, Eileen, was born to two teenagers. Her mother, she never met her dad because he was in jail uh, when she was born. Her mother abandoned her and her brother when she was about four years old. Mm -hmm. Um... They lived, I think, with their grandparents. Um, yeah, their and, grandparents legally adopted them. Right. And then um, a friend of the grandfather's uh, sexually abused Eileen for a while, I think. And then well, she Eileen alleged got that the grandfather sexually abused her, too. Oh, okay, okay. Yep, and she had a, like, sexual relationship with her brother. Mm-hmm. Just really messed up stuff like all before she was even 11 and then when she was turned 11 around the age of 11 started using sex to get things from other people like cigarettes and money yeah by 13 she Um, was living in the woods um at 14 she became pregnant with the kid of maybe a friend of her grandfather's and She went to, like, a home for unwed mothers and gave birth to a son, and he was taken away right away. And then she started hitchhiking. Right. And that's, I mean, there are, like, 20 years in between that and where the movie picks up, but, like, that's pretty much the background and of just, like, all of this trauma that she experienced. Yeah. 
Yeah, like, the, the movie. The, I, oh, go ahead. I just like I kind of throughout the whole movie, like in my notes, my notes are mostly just like, oh my god, oh my god, this is awful. But kind of at the end, I was like, I don't like I don't think at any point she had a choice. There was no there was no option. No. And, like, it makes me sad because given a different life, given more support, given a different community, she might have. But I think that, like, I don't think it was through any fault of hers that she ended up where she did. Yeah. In the movie portrays her in a very sympathetic way. Yeah. Um, and what we know about her story is from her own voice. So, of course, people are like, well, we don't know that all that is true. But it's just she never had a chance. I mean, she didn't necessarily have to become a serial killer, but she did not have a chance at a happy life. I think, I know they don't go into a ton of her backstory in the movie, but they do go to enough, I feel like, to ground her at least. And as as a character where I am, like, totally noticed and knew Because now, I mean, it's always like this, right? We watch a movie and then we do some research. And it's hard for me to separate what I learned after watching the movie and what I learned through the movie. But Mm -hmm. there, I definitely knew throughout the movie that, you know, there's, there's like these ace. Um, It measures somebody's averse childhood experiences. Adverse childhood experience. So We've talked about this before. Okay. Yeah. So you can take like an ace test. I don't want to call it a test. An evaluation. And it measures the adverse childhood um, experiences that people have been through. And people who score higher on the ACE evaluation have higher rates of, like, crime and abuse and drug addiction and things like that. So I was watching this whole thing and, and thinking, like, oh, that's a childhood trauma. That's a childhood trauma. That's a childhood trauma. All of mm-hmm. this stuff that was never resolved and never had – was she in a place where she felt safe or – a like, appropriately attached to anybody else in life. Mm-hmm. She was just spiraling, like, totally disconnected. Right. And I think, I mean, there was, like, a moment of potential redemption in her relationship with Selby, I think. So, yes. like, having this connection to this person that she really, truly, like, loved and cared about so deeply, I think there was a potential there for her to not I mean not completely turn it around because with all that trauma she I mean she was fucked like it it was you know but yeah. she was trying I do, though like she she exactly like went she to job interviews exactly she like went out to these job interviews and she was like we're gonna I'm just gonna do what I have to do to get us some money and we're gonna get the fuck out of here and like start over because at the end of the day like she was spending so much it seemed to me like she was spending a lot of emotional energy trying to protect Selby from from the reality of what she was doing and then also just from the world in general because she loved her and because Selby was younger and didn't have anybody either and I think she maybe saw some of herself in Selby. But then, I mean, but then it didn't work for many, many reasons. I also wonder how power comes into this because yeah, up until the moment she kills that dude... She um, she has, like, a little form of power, which is that she can use her body to get payment, but it's not really 
power, you know? She's not, like, making that choice. And then all of a sudden she kills someone, and now she has this huge power to take somebody else's life. And you can see, in the movie at least, after killing the first person, she's, like, kind of unwinding. So I don't think... They didn't portray her, at least, as somebody, like, completely sociopathic. She is, like, feeling the effects of having murdered people um, in the movie. I don't know. None of this has a point. I'm just spe- talking about what I noticed. <laughs> yeah. Well, so in, like, some research after the movie, I saw that there is a video of her from, like, the day before she was executed. I saw that, too, yeah. I did not watch it because the caption was, like, Eileen Wornos completely insane the day before her execution. And I was like, I have no interest in engaging with that. That is going to freak me the fuck out. I watched part of it, and her the voice track doesn't line up with her face, which is annoying to me, oh. so I stopped watching it. But um, I watched enough of it to be like, wow, Charlize Theron really nailed it. <laughs> like, really? Yeah, like her facial expressions, like out of nowhere, she'll make her eyes really wide and like smile really big and then drop her smile, like really strange affectations that Charlize Theron nailed. I thought, I mean, Charlize Theron, even just physically, like, the makeup work and the hair, like, all of the stuff, she looked so much like her. It's uncanny. I know. She deserved that award. She really did. I watched her acceptance speech after, and I really wanted her to say something about the system and how it fails all these girls, but she didn't. She just thanked, like, her family and her crew, which is good. I mean, way to way to give people some recognition, but also yeah, like, bummer. It's like be an activist every chance you get. <laughs> um, I did read online that she became producer of the movie because she wanted to make sure that they could continue telling the story that they were telling, mm. and that it wouldn't be pushed around too much and changed. That's really cool. So that's, really that's a cool. little form of activism in a way, like making sure totally. that they got to use the voice they wanted to use. Yeah. And as a producer, the fact that they portrayed her sympathetically does show that the people involved in making this film are aware of the impact of her life. Totally. Even if they didn't, like, bring it to the forefront completely, they still, like, integrate it in a way that it felt like, when I was watching the movie knowing nothing about this woman, it still felt like it had impact and mattered. Yeah. Do you feel the same way? I think I do. But this is a good question. Do you feel the same way if you think about men serial killers? I was wondering about that because, so I am really into true crime, as I think you know. As and we I, know, yeah. As we know, I spend a lot of time reading and listening to podcasts and doing, like, watching movies and stuff about serial killers um, and about just, like, one-off murderers, too, and, like, family and eyeless and things like that. And... I often do feel a lot of compassion for people who had really fucked up backgrounds. Like um, like Ed Geins was a serial killer who experienced a lot of like abuse at the hands of his mother and then became a serial killer later on. And like making those connections, first of all, it's really interesting to me just psychologically, like the perpetuation of this trauma and the way that like it kind of continues to flow through a person but I also I don't know I go back and forth I also had a lot of sympathy for 
Lee as like a queer woman. And I don't know if she would take that label. And so I don't want to necessarily put that label on her, but like a woman who like had experienced trauma and then was falling in love with another woman and just like no part of her identity or her life was going to be acceptable in society at any point. And that like, that really hit me hard in a way that I don't think I feel with other other like murderers that I read about but all that said like I generally do have a lot of sympathy for people yeah in this situation I do think that men serial killers also probably or murderers also probably had a lot of adverse childhood experiences too totally totally I think for me I just drew a little chart on my notebook Like, we know statistically that men commit more acts of violence than women in general. So if we have, like, these charts where we have normal men committed violence and normal women committed violence, it's like women's a lot lower, men's a lot higher. So then a woman serial killer is so different from what we're normally used to that I think I probably inherently want to be like, oh, what made her different? What is there to understand about her? Whereas male violence men violence is like already pretty high that a man serial killer to me just seems like an extension of what it what i'm used to as normalized men Mm. committed violence and i'm like i have no patience for men violence i have no patience for men serial killers as an extension of men committing violence so i do feel differently about it but i i think that the normal level of men committing violence that we're used to is probably also I mean is definitely also like some of it is adverse childhood experiences some of it is the normalized like masculinity and what is what like how men solve problems quote unquote um Mm -hmm. through violence but we know that a man who is abusive towards his family um it's, we know that a, a boy who's abused is more likely to be abusive as a man. Not that every boy who's a, abused becomes an abusive man, but we know that it increases the odds. So I know it factors in. I was just thinking about, like, why do I feel more compassion for Eileen than I would for, like, a man serial killer? Yeah. And I think it's just out of the ordinary. So I'm like, let's explore mm-hmm. that. Well, I definitely feel curiosity about that, right? Because, like, I would theorize, and I don't, have any data really to back this up but just based on like reading about this stuff I I would theorize that a woman with certain ace factors and a man with the same ace factors the man would be more likely to commit like external acts of violence right and so what is it about like just because of socialization the man is more likely to like engage in external acts of violence the woman is more likely to either turn that inward or engage in other, like, Like abuse that is not as violent. Exactly, like addiction. Emotional abuse or Mm -hmm. neglect of people who need care, things like that. Right. Which are still abuse, but... Still absolutely abuse and still really fucking suck, but are just, like, in a different vein than, It's, like, like active versus Serial killing. Right. Exactly. And so I'm wondering what it is about, like, Eileen that that, like, like, what is different about her socialization or, like, what is a different, like, inherent factor in her 
that made her engage in those more external acts of violence. Like literally just like I was reading this uh, Bustle article that we were talking about earlier um, by Alicia Liu published November 25th. Uh, 2015, and it's called Eight Surprising Facts About Notorious Serial Killer Eileen Warnos That Will Haunt Your Dreams. Classic. Yeah. Um, very. They don't very haunt my baby. dreams, by the way. I was like, these are just facts. No. These are not, like, scary facts. It's not like nope. she cut the eyelids off of kittens or anything like yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> that like would the haunt first my one dreams. Is, that would, but the first one is her parents were teenagers when they had her. Yeah, that's true of a lot of parents. I don't know if you've ever met a person, but that's... <laughs> Uh, occasionally true right. like I don't know what the fuck but um so one of these facts is her weapon of choice was a small pistol which you know if you've if you've watched the movie and it says unlike most female serial killers who often kill by strangling poisoning or other less automatic methods Warnos's weapon of choice was a 22 caliber pistol and so like that's something that we're talking about too right is that women serial killers are engaging in murder in a way that, like, is less direct, almost. Uh, I'd like to call BS on that. Strangulation is one of the worst ways both to die yeah, and true. one of the most, like, violent ways to kill a person. Mm. When I was working for this, like, community organization that was reviewing um, domestic violence crimes, we would specifically look at crimes by strangulation because mm. it is such a next level type of injury to inflict on somebody. It's wow. really traumatic experience. So I would almost say like, it's probably, I guess if you start strangling somebody, you can come back from it partway through and change your mind. And if you shoot somebody, you like make a choice and that's, it's like jumping in the water rather than putting your toe in. But both of them feel very violent to me. If they're if yeah. this are if this article is saying like most women strangle people, it would be different if like most women uh, sneak poison into people's drinks and then Eileen shot them and that was very different. Most but, women are Agatha Christie murderers. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> they lace they lace their cognac <laughs> with cyanide. <laughs> I want you to know now that if I have to go, that's the way I want to go. With you want me to cognac, cognac laced in cyanide. Cognac yeah. cyanide. Can you please do that for me? Thank you. Um, I guess. I'd rather <laughs> not. But hopefully I by mean, then like, you can, the like, have a doctor do it for you in a way that's, that's not. True. That's just, like, in a tube in your body instead of right. cognac and cyanide. I just, the cognac is really the, the part that feels appealing to me. I so. can give you cognac while you're getting, like, doctor um assisted, assisted suicide. suicide yeah that's fine I, I mean like maybe you could just give me cognac maybe maybe that's just the end of where we were going with this right like you don't have to die or anything maybe I don't even have to die maybe I'm just good maybe you I'm might just... not ever have to die I mean who knows which is Listen, actually medical science. as terrifying to me as dying yeah I think and since we are the same on dying I imagine you feel the same way living forever I feel is so super panicked scary. about both of those options yes and so I don't really know what to do with it there's no solution <laughs> there's no solution <laughs> I um so okay so you're right I think you're right about the strangulation thing and I think this bustle article maybe is overreacting to most stuff also didn't um, everybody freak out when bustle first came on the don't you remember when bustle first came on the scene that it was created by a dude with like questionable 
questionable motives. And now I like bustles become just like a normal thing. I have no idea, but I can we can cut it. this out. We don't really have to talk about this, but I remember all of this like talking about like bustle, like a feminist magazine created by a man. What? Come on, you guys, stay in your fucking lane. It was um, different. There was a reason do, it was weird. I do want to say that one of these facts is in in the like eight facts that will haunt your dreams. One of them is Jeb Bush helped her get executed. <laughs> Which that haunts th- my dreams. That does haunt me. <laughs> yeah, Except that, that now that we have Trump as president, I'm like, ah, Jeb Bush would have been so cute. I know, little Jebby, <laughs> little Jebby, Jeb. Yeah, I definitely feel that way about it. I didn't realize that Arrested Development is based on the Bush family. Did you? I realized it That's maybe real. six months ago. Yeah, people like know that. I didn't know. It, it didn't occur to me until I learned that Jeb is an acronym. Right. Yes. And then I was like, like Job. Job. And it just like, (laughs) it just everything clicked. And I called my friend Casey and I was like, dude, did you know this? And she was like, yes, stupid. I figured this out a long time ago. Everyone knows this. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I sometimes feel late to the game. (laughs) I am 100% always late to the game. (laughs) All right. Do we feel like we've covered everything? I covered a lot of things. We covered a lot of things. Yeah, we might, maybe we'll have to find another kind of documentary or maybe just a few select episodes of um, My Favorite Murder or something where we can explore women murder a little more and yeah. try to take apart our feelings about why we feel differently about that than men murder. Totally. And I mean, in My Favorite Murder, they do a lot of women and it's very clear that proportionally there just are more men but they do yeah. like shit I'm not gonna remember their name but this pair of sisters who like killed all their maids and their like caretakers and stuff through like really really violent means like eye gouging shit it was fucked up and let me clarify I think it is the bustle article or it was some article I read that was like Eileen Wustros is often referred to, or Warnos, sorry. <laughs> Was that a Game of Thrones I, reference? Eileen <laughs> Westeros. Eileen <laughs> Warnos is often considered the first serial killer, but she's not. And then the example they used to say that she's not the first serial killer is that there was this, like, a lot of babies dying in this hospital and that this nurse was killing a bunch of babies. And let me be clear, I feel 100%... I mean, I feel 0%, I was going to say 100%, no. I feel 0% (laughs) compassion for that asshole of a human who was murdering babies. Yeah, me too. I also feel no compassion for that whatsoever. 0% though? Do you feel 0%? I feel, I feel like a negative percent. Nice. Can you believe that? I do. So actually there are a lot of really interesting cases of like caretaker serial killers like nurses and um nannies and mothers who like kill babies over and over and over and it's it's i find it really like it's gross and horrible but also really fascinating like what the psychological impetus is for that and i mean it's basically just that they like have have absolutely no self-control yeah but or they um, said in this article which i'm trying to find so i can actually cite it but i can't find it they said in this article that they think, like, people speculate that this nurse was killing all these babies so that she could look like a hero when she was saving a couple of them. 
that's that's so, really interesting. Now I'm thinking about Eileen again, and maybe a part of what makes Eileen and like I, I have more compassion for Eileen is mm-hmm. the fact that she was killing people, or the first guy at least, people who were like sexually abusing her and presumably other people. So maybe that gives you more compassion. Oh, I think it totally does. The fact that like she was, um, it it was theoretically self defense, or even just like it was a like later when it wasn't self defense, it was still a trauma reaction. Yeah. Whereas so, if Eileen was out murdering randos and stealing their money, I probably have less compassion for her. Right. Yeah, totally. I mean, like, so I'm, I'm, I looked up on, because another podcast that I listen to pretty religiously is called Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's from HowStuffWorks.com. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, a, it's a really great podcast. And they do a fair amount of serial killers. So one of whom is, was actually way before Eileen Ronos. And her name was Linda Hazard. And she had... Um, what a good murder name. Yeah, it's... L-I-N-D-A-H-A-Z-Z-A-R-D. It's incredible. Um, And the episode is called Linda Hazard and Starvation Heights. And essentially what she did was she had this – oh, fuck, my phone's frozen. But she had like a a retreat center where she brought people and claimed to have like – all these healing skills and she would literally starve people because she'd be like it's like a fasting it's a fasting healing process and people would starve to death like very like many many people starve to death in her healing I think it was somewhere like close to the Bay Area but it was a long time ago and then there was also uh Marianne Cotton who was she was in the mid-1800s and she was a serial killer who killed a lot of her own children through poisoning um People believe that she killed as many as 21 people with arsenic, many of them her own children. See, we'll have to revisit this man-woman serial killer feelings thing while examining a woman serial killer who is killing people who aren't sexually abusing her. Or while examining a man serial killer who is killing people who are actively abusing him in some way. I feel like I would feel similar compassion for somebody who was like at the end of their rope with being oppressed and then started killing the people oppressing them, whether it was a man or a woman. I think, I think I would too. I think that that might be, you might've just hit on the right factor there. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. Yeah. We'll do some research. I like, like I said, I love true crime. I would love to do like another episode about like specifically about serial killers. Yeah. Like that would be really interesting to me. Let's do it. We'll have to piece together a few things, but let's do it. Yeah, we could do some some of my favorite murders, some mist in history. I could I could I could figure some shit out for sure. Cool. Cool cool cool. Cool cool. All right, All right. stuff we missed this week. Yeah, do you want to go first, oh, my love? I oh. do, but first I just want to say we didn't say it the whole time that uh Monster Shart. was written and directed by Patty Jenkins. Ah, yeah, that is important. So right. she's a she's a woman. Cool. Just to give her her due. Yeah. Totally. That's fucking dope. I love like Something that we've talked about before, I think just between us, I don't know if we've talked about it like on the podcast, is like who is more of a storyteller, right? The writer or the director of a movie. And I I mean, I think that at the end of the day, like 
it's it's both but when we were deciding about what the criteria should be for this project we were talking about like well like directors have so much input on the way that the story is told maybe it should qualify if there's a woman director we eventually decided that no it should be women writers only yeah or that we we also said like if a good case comes up of something ah, if it was a if it was written by a man and directed by a woman i still don't feel like that's one i want to talk about Right, I I, I want to read character. I want to see characters created by women, exactly. And they're not all good, as we're gonna find out when you and I go to watch Snatch in the movie theater. Oh fuck! I'm, yeah, but I'm, we have to. I'm actively dreading it. This is I, the because Hidden Figures technically came out last year, right? Yeah. This is the first mainstream released movie that you and I are allowed to see. I know. It's cool. We'll have a lot to talk about. <laughs> All right. We have to do the thing that I do sometimes where I get uh, take out Chinese and take it to the movie theater because I just oh, can't stand idea. to watch. Let's see if we can find this. like a movie time that's similar so we can like be texting each other. When does it come out? Do you know? Mother's Day. Like, what the fuck, you guys? Come on. It's about her and her no. fictional mom. I know, but, like, Let's not mom... draw too many conclu- conclusions before okay. it comes out. I just, I've never been kidnapped with my mom. I just saw, like, two completely out-of-touch white women get kidnapped in Africa, right? Yeah, and I've seen so many, like, things, because I follow Amy Schumer on Instagram, and I've Me seen, too. like, so many of her... Um, like things that she'll post from the set of them just dressed like natives, all in dirt, oh. and it's like so upsetting. Well, and they also did that thing where they, uh, like, did a parody video of Formation. Did you see that? Oh fuck! They did. They did for a promo for the movie. Anyway, okay. let's talk about this later. <laughs> Great. I'll weep about this another time. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So, um, what did you miss, baby? I missed Bill Nye the Science Guy's new show on Netflix. Bill, Bill, Bill. And I don't even really know anything about it. I just like Bill Nye. Yeah. He's a citizen scientist and just a cool dude. Yeah. So, I'm excited to watch that in 2018. It's going to be really good. We'll be past the point of no return in uh, climate change. Oh, my God. It's cool. It's cool. So, So, looking forward. Looking forward to that. I'll dip my toes in melted glacier water and check nice. this out on my on my fucking holographic smartphone or whatever we have in the future. Wow, the future is the future is in is in so seven months. soon. <laughs> what did you Can't miss this for week? Um, this week I missed Dear White People. So oh. I never actually saw the movie when it came out, and I don't know who it was written by. Um, oh man, I looked it up. Okay. So the TV show has recently come out on Netflix and it's like the same premise but different actors um, and it's also written and directed by a man. It may be the same man. I have no idea. But um, it is, I think. I I just really, really want to see it. I like – there are so few things out there that are like four black voices that are mainstream enough that white people would – bother to go see them yeah and there are even fewer things that are for black voices that are mainstream enough mainstream enough for people to go see them that also like address 
racism and also right. like call out microaggressions and all of this shit. Um, and I, I just am so excited to watch it. I think, I think it's just, you're doing God's work there, everybody. Yeah. I'm excited to watch it too. Yeah. There's so much good stuff coming out and actually a lot of good TV that you and I can watch. Yeah. But a lot that we can't too. So it'll be exciting to delve into some of that stuff later. Totally. I'm uh, very, very excited about it. Okay. So I think that's it for us this week. Yes? You've done it. You've wasted another hour or more (laughs) hearing about us. Oh, and also I love how we're not going to talk about why we were gone. Uh, I guess we could just reference it. I've been looking for jobs and feeling sad. And Helen's been graduating. College. Graduating from college. I walk across the stage tomorrow, and I'm very excited Woo-hoo! about it. I wish I could be there. Um, there's a live stream if you want to watch it. Christian Amanpour is our graduation speaker, which I'm really, what? really stoked about. Yeah, I'm really yeah. excited. Um, so I'll keep you I'll keep you apprised of the situation. Is All right. Quinn? It was Quinn. <laughs> yeah, she's outside <laughs> of the door. We're like, what are you doing? Let me in. <laughs> why, why doesn't it involve me? Okay, yes. Teddy so, won't um, let me out. Will you let me out, please? In an ideal world, we'll be back to weekly podcasts. But, yeah, yeah. again, we're mysterious, and uh, we are just doing our thing. Yes, we are. But thank you. Check us out online. Actually, don't go to our website till like, next week, because we haven't updated it in a while. Yeah, we but we need to update that. At, by the time this comes out, well, let's update it. So go yeah. to our website, mentaldam.com. M-E-N-T-A-L-D-A-M dot C-O-M. Check us out on Twitter at mental underscore dam on Facebook. We're all over the frickin' place. Send us your thoughts about serial killers and how you feel about men versus women and how you feel about the fact that we have compassion towards people. I actually, we might be monsters. I actually really do want to know what people think about that. So Yeah, me too. Seeking input. All right. See ya soon. Bye. Bye. Oh, and don't die. Oh. <laughs> we stopped saying that. Yeah, I don't know. It's yeah, we'll get there. We'll we'll eventually remember things.